Good evening. It's a wonderful blessing to be here. I'm always excited at this time of year, especially if I can be here during this time. Um, I always look forward to taking part in this spring work that y'all do. My schedule doesn't always work out that way, but I made sure that it did. And uh, Van and Diana didn't turn me away when I told them I was coming, so I thought I'd come on. Uh, I got here and Brother Tom was out in the foyer and I was really looking forward to seeing Tom and he said, hey man, I'm glad you're here. And I thought, well, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad to see you. And he said, because I was your backup. Well, <laughs> I thought you were just glad to see me. <laughs> I appreciate the prayer. I uh, appreciate Brother John and what he said about the seriousness of when we open up God's word and we look at it. Because uh, that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Uh, the title, When the Word Won't Work, is simply an attention grabber. Uh, that may have made the hair stand up on the back of your neck when you read that, but I think you'll understand uh, why I've entitled our lesson tonight, When the Word Won't Work. Uh, I have most of the scriptures on the screen for your convenience. Uh, we'll ask you a couple of times to take a Bible and follow along with me. We're going to do a little bit of reading. I don't like to put that much text on the screen. Uh, so we're going to actually read a couple of passages uh, but we'll have most of them on the screen for your convenience. We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 tonight in verse 13. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and he said to them, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. And I just want to stop and think about that. There was something that these people did here in the church at Thessalonica that caused Paul to say, We are prayerful and thankful to God all of the time for some reason. And this was the reason. He said, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Paul said, we thank God without ceasing because when we came and we preached to you, you received the word of God and he said, you welcomed it. And that word means exactly like we think it means. It's like we welcome someone into our home. They were very accepting and gracious toward the preaching that Paul uh, and Silas and others that were at Thessalonica preached. But he, it wasn't just about the fact that they had welcomed it, but about how they had welcomed it. He says, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Have you ever heard anybody say, in regard to the Bible, yeah, I've read that book. I've read that book. You know, a lot of people today, the way that they look at the Word of God is that it was just a book that was written by men, a book that uh, was written by men a long time ago who can't possibly know about the problems that we face today, who, who are not enlightened like we are because of the discoveries we've made, and that's the way that they look at it, an archaic book of history and maybe some good suggestions. How do you look at it? And I'll tell you the problem is, if we look at it that way, the last phrase that he says here won't happen. He says it effectively works in you who believe. If that's all the Bible is to you, some book written by men, I'm going to tell you it's not going to do a thing for you. It's not going to help you with your problems in life. It's not going to encourage you. The hope that you may find in it is just going to be fickle. Because it's just some book, it's another book. 
You know, there are times when the word friends just won't work. And you say, well, hold on a minute. There are times when the word is not effective. But it's not the word's fault. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now listen, and it's profitable. That phrase, inspiration of God, tells us even though this is a book that was written by men, it wasn't their unction, it wasn't their ideas, it wasn't their wisdom and understanding that they were writing down. In fact, this message that we have that we know is the Bible is God-breathed. This is God speaking to us. And I hear people all the time say, I wish God would talk to me. Friends, he's been screaming at us. We're just not listening. That word, he says, is profitable. And that word profitable means it is helpful in advancing the purpose of something. And he tells us what it's profitable for. It's profitable for doctrineers, we would say teaching. It's profitable for rebuke or reproof. It's profitable for correction or for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible has every single thing that we need to be exactly who God wants us to be. The word's effective. The Hebrew writer says it this way in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. He says, for the word of God is living and powerful. I just want to let that sit in for a moment. The word of God is living and powerful. Do you know any other books that are living? Do you know any other books that have the power that God's word does? I'll tell you, man has been very busy in writing books. Countless volumes of man's wisdom recorded on pages and put in bookstores for us to read. And I'll tell you, not one of those books is living. And not one of those books has the power and the precision that God's Word does. And he says in the next part of this, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, I guess when I used to read this, I used to think, well, you know, they put edges on a, both sides of a sword so you could swing it both ways and you could cut whatever way you swung it. That's not the reason they did that. They sharpened both sides of a sword because that particular sword was designed for piercing and penetrating deeply. And he says it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces. It pierces deeply. How deep does it pierce? What's deeper than the soul and spirit? What's deeper than the joints and marrow of a man? I'll tell you what's deeper than the joints and marrow. The thoughts and intents of a man. I'll tell you, there's some good books out there. There's some books that have wisdom. There's some books that have, have a good uh, handle on maybe ways to help your finances, ways to, well, I guess they're kind of obsolete now because we got YouTube, but, you know, manuals to cart. There's all kinds of wisdom out there. But I'll tell you what I've seen. I've seen a six-foot-six man who's about this wide break down and cry. And I'll tell you why he did that, because the Word of God pierced him deeply. And it took his thoughts and intents and it discerned them. Because it's powerful. I want to back up to verse 2. And notice what he said. He said, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Now listen, but the word preached did not 
profit them. I thought the word was profitable. It is. But he tells us why. Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. I'll tell you something about the word. The word is powerful. It is living. It is profitable. But it's only going to do as much as the hearer allows it to do. And friends, there are times when people hear the word, but the word, it doesn't work within them. And I'll talk to you about several reasons why tonight. Grab a Bible and turn with me to Matthew 13. I'm going to borrow one here. Matthew chapter 13. You will recognize this chapter if you're a student of Scripture as as a chapter that contains several different parables. And one of those parables is the parable of the soul. And we're not going to take time to go through that parable tonight. We're going to, and I've got verse 10 up there. We're actually going to back up a verse and start in verse 9. When Jesus had ended the parable of the sower, he said these words in verse 9. He said, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. You know, it would probably seem peculiar to us that some would say, If you have ears to hear, then listen. Uh, I don't see anybody out here tonight that is missing an ear. Uh, if you are, sorry. That, that's not what he's talking about, though. He's not saying if you've got the physical... What's he mean if you have ears to hear? I think he's saying if you really have a desire to hear what I'm saying and to understand what I'm saying, then this message is for you. And then the disciples were prompted to ask him a question. Why do you speak to them in parables? That'd be peculiar. Could you imagine if I walked around here the next week and uh, for the next week and every time I saw you, I gave you a parable? You think, man, that guy's so strange. <laughs> Why is he always talking in riddles? And That's odd. They thought it was odd. But Jesus gave them a reason. He said, because unto you it's given to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but unto them it's not given. And I guess on the surface as you read that, you think, well, that sounds a lot like God chose some people to understand and chose some people not to understand. But Jesus didn't stop there. Let's pick our reading back up. In verse 13, we'll come back to verse 12 in just a moment, but I want to read verses 13 and 14. He says, Therefore speak out of them in parables. Now listen, because seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing... Ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive, for this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. You know what Jesus said? the difference between the disciples who were given to know the mysteries and these people who were not given to know the mysteries, what the difference was? Their eyes and their ears. That was the difference. 
Now look at verse 12 again. This is kind of a, sounds ambiguous on the surface. He says, whosoever hath, to him shall be given. What in the world is he talking about? We just said in verse 9, whosoever hath ears to hear, let him hear. When he says whosoever hath, he's talking about people that have ears to hear. And he says, whosoever hath ears to hear, to him shall be given. Given what? He said, it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. See, some people have the desire to hear and to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. And unto those people, understanding and wisdom will be theirs. But he said, those that don't have, they're going to lose even that that they think they have. Because you know what they're going to have? Confusion. They're going to listen to Jesus' parable about the sower. And you know what they're going to hear about? A man that went and scattered seed. But they don't get anything out of it. It doesn't help them understand the nature of the kingdom. It doesn't help them understand the nature of God. It doesn't help them understand the responsibility in the kingdom. It helps them none at all. All because, he says, they've closed their eyes, they've shut their ears, their heart has waxed gross. They have no desire. You know, it takes more than just memorizing Scripture hearing Scripture for the Scripture to profit us. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 19. He said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. I want to repeat that. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, he said, then comes the wicked one and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he that receives seed by the wayside. You know, it takes a lot for a person to bear fruit in the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you what it takes. It takes more than just a reading of God's word. It takes an understanding of God's word. And I sympathize with anyone who struggles to understand God's word. But you know, the truth is the word doesn't profit us until we understand it. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 7, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher some of these names, but bear with me, you understand, you're West Texas people too, so... Uh, but I'm going to try to read them. Uh, these were men of God, and as they came back from captivity, these men took it upon themselves to teach the people the word of God. It says also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shebathai, Hodajah, Maaseiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleiah, and the Levites, probably got that one right, uh, helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. I don't know why, but I always imagined in the Old Testament as they would open up the law and read it that someone would stand up there in their garments and they'd read very monotone and, and without any explanation. But that's not what these men did. They helped the people to understand the law. They didn't just read the law, they helped them understand it. Why? Because they understood what Jesus taught. We need to understand what we're reading. Now listen to verse 9. He says, so they read distinctly from the book distinctly they were very purposed with what they decided to read they read distinctly and it says that they gave the sense that means they explained the meaning of the passages now, i want to talk to both the hearer and the teacher tonight regarding this truth as teachers i believe we have a responsibility to do more than just simply read the word and expect the people to understand it we need to try to help the people 
to understand the word just like these men did. And they did that through giving the meaning of the passages. But as a hearer, you have an opportunity three times a week to hear somebody do that very thing, to explain the scriptures. And friends, if we don't show up and we don't come, let's not cry when we say, well, I can't understand the Bible. Because we've got opportunity after opportunity to be taught the Word of God every single week. There was a man that was seeking God, reading Scripture. Evidently, this was a man who was very religious. He had made a very long trip to come and worship God. And as he was going home, uh, he was prompted by the Spirit to go and talk to this man. Uh, Philip was. And Philip, when he went and talked to this man, the first question that he asked as he saw him reading the Bible was, do you understand what you're reading? He didn't say, what are you reading? He said, do you understand what you're reading? And this guy could have went, oh yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I'm good. Now, this, this is a man of nobility, but this man had some humility evidently because he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And I'll tell you, there is no shame in admitting I need help to understand the scriptures. The shame is when we read it and go, this just doesn't make any sense. And we know people are going to help us, but we don't ask. This guy knew the seriousness of understanding what he was reading, and he asked this man, Philip, to come and join him and sit with him and teach him the Word of God. And I'll tell you what happened. This man was saved because of that, because of his humility. You know, there's another man that we read of that had some things really in his character uh, that could have really hindered him, and that, that was Apollos. And You know, Apollos, he just kind of shows up in Scripture, doesn't he? Just all of a sudden just shows up. But Luke takes the time to give us various details about this man, Apollos, such as where he was born and some of his background. And I want to notice some of the things that he says about Apollos. He says, There was a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures. Now, Alexandria probably doesn't mean a whole lot to us today. But back then, that word was like our modern-day terms when we say something like Harvard, Yale, Cambridge, Oxford. It would automatically jog within the people's mind education. That's what they would think. Because Alexandria was the center of learning in the world at that time. This was an educated person. And not only that, the Bible says that he was an eloquent man. He had a grasp of language. He was an intelligent man. He was mighty in the scriptures. He knew the Bible. And verse 25 tells us this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. Who's the Lord? Jesus. He was teaching Jesus. And he was instructed. That is, he had training. And the Bible says, being fervent in spirit, he spoke... And he taught accurately the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. You know what we read all this and you know what we focus on? He was messed up on baptism. Yes, he was. But I'll tell you what else he was. He was educated, he was intelligent, he was trained, and he spoke and he taught accurately. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. You know who Aquila and Priscilla were? 
They were tent makers. The audacity <laughs> of these simple tradesmen to take a guy that's been educated and trained who knew the Bible probably a lot better than they did and try to correct him. Well, I'll tell you, they did. And Apollos became a pillar in the church because when they corrected him, he had a greater desire to understand the word of God correctly than he did his own ego. And I'll tell you, friends, if we aren't where that man is, we will never learn will never understand but I'll tell you what this teaches us anybody can be taught by anybody truth is truth whether it's taught by the doctor the professor or the tent maker truth is truth one of the things that often gets in our way when we are trying to read and understand the word is tradition. And I want to say a few things about tradition. Uh, and I guess we ought to define what the word means because it's a word we use a lot. But the word tradition just simply means the transmission of beliefs or practices from one generation to another. I, I remember growing up as a kid, this was our tradition. Uh, it was woodworking. Uh, I'm a fourth generation carpenter. And my dad was taught by his dad and and my grandpa was taught by his dad. And there were two things to do, carpentry, two ways rather to do carpentry work. There was my dad's way and there was the wrong way. There weren't any more ways. And I'll tell you, when he worked for his dad, that was the same rule. <clears throat> and we just pitied everybody that didn't know how to do it the right way. That's tradition. Sometimes tradition becomes prideful. Sometimes tradition, even though it has a purpose, becomes lost. I heard a story one time about a man who had won a prize ham in a contest, and, and his wife decided to cook this prize ham, and when he came home, his wife had cut the end off of this ham. And he said, why did you cut the end off of that ham? And she said, well, that's the way that my mother always did it. And he said, well, why would your mother do that? She said, well, I don't know. He said, well, I want to know, so let's call her. So they called her mother, and they asked her, why do you cut the end off the ham? And she said, well, I don't know. That's the way my mama always used to do it. And she said, well, we need to call Grandma. So they called Grandma. And she said, Grandma, why do we cut the end off the ham? She says, I have no idea why you do it. She said, but I had a ham that was this long and a pan that was this long. And that's why I did it. Grandma had a purpose for the tradition. The other two, they just did it because Grandma did it. They really didn't know why. And I think we can fall into that same trap because we can follow a tradition simply because it's been a tradition, even not knowing the purpose of the tradition. And I'll tell you something else about tradition. The Bible warns us to be careful about tradition. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 39, and he spoke a parable to them, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Now I want to stop for a moment and think about what Jesus just said. Now look at verse 40 again. Jesus is not talking about a relationship as him as the teacher and his disciples. That's not the point. He's giving a generic truth about teachers and disciples. 
When somebody is mentored by somebody, when they have a teacher, an instructor, what will they be like? The instructor. That's all he's saying. When someone is completely trained by a teacher, the disciple will be exactly like his teacher, even if that teacher is blind. That's his point. And then he talks a little more about perspective. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? And do not perceive the beam in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the beam from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. So it says, well, that's odd. He's talking about hypocritical judgment. Well, he is, but really he's talking about the eyes. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about perception and being able to see clearly and make right judgments. And he said, you can't do that if you've got something that's clouding your vision. Can you imagine somebody that has a tube of four sticking out of their forehead going, hey, you got a little something right there on your eye. Just hold still for a minute. Let me, okay, got it. We'd go, really? <laughs> I mean, you got, <laughs> really? Are you blind? That's his point. Are you blind? You know what that beam is sometimes? Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's tradition. And we look at the scriptures and we don't understand the scriptures because we're looking at it through the lens of our tradition. Or at least I know I have. Grab a Bible again. Turn with me to Mark chapter 7. <coughs> Mark chapter 7. As you're turning there, uh, the first four verses of this are Mark's commentary. He gives us a little background. Before he tells us the story, he gives us some background information that's going to help us. That's why I've chosen to read uh, from verse 1. So we're going to read the background information and kind of get the backstory before we read this conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees. Mark recording says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables." Then the, the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of elder, the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? Now before we read Jesus' response, I just want to think about this situation. Okay, so first of all, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this, and you can make fun of me if you want, that's okay. I've got lots of things you can make fun of me about, but one of my pet peeves is when people don't wash their hands before they eat and my wife thinks it's hilarious but if my kids come in the kitchen and it's dinner time the first thing I ask them is did you wash your hands usually they just go to the bathroom because they didn't and to me that's nasty and I'll tell you why because kids are gross <laughs> and they touch everything and I don't want their germs on my food so if they say, no, I didn't wash my hands, I say, okay, go wash your hands. Well, what if, what if they came in and I said, did you wash your hands? And they go, no, and I go, you go to your room and you pray and you ask God to forgive you right now. Everybody go, you're crazy. 
But that's what these men were doing. This wasn't a, why didn't your disciples wash their hands? They're saying, your disciples are sinning. Mark says they found fault with these men because they didn't wash their hands before they eat. They took something that is fine, it's a good tradition, it has a purpose, but they tried to bind that as the law of God. And they tried to condemn these men. Why? Because they didn't wash their hands. Gross as it may be, it's not a sin to eat with dirty hands. Even though I wish it was. No. These men had a real problem with discerning the difference between tradition, something that was okay and something that was good, and something they could take and make themselves God. They had a problem with that. And Jesus has a response. Let's read from chapter 6 on down through verse 13. Uh, verse 6, rather. Mark 7, 6. He answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How being in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You know those verses, don't you? That was in direct relation, uh, relation to what these men were saying. You know what Jesus was really saying? These guys are talking a lot of smoke about this washing hands, but I know where their heart is. And it's not in godliness. That's not where their heart is. These men are teaching vanity. Vanity. Verse 9. Uh, verse 8, rather. Jesus said, For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandments of God, that you may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and mother, and whoso curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man say to his father and mother, It is Corban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect by your traditions." which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. There were three things that Jesus said about traditions, friend, that I want to pull out of these passages and look at, because I think these are very serious matters. He told them, first of all, you lay aside the commandments of God to hold your traditions. Now, I do furniture work. I love to build furniture, and I've realized two things. Number one, I don't have enough hands, and number two, you can never have too many clamps. And there's just sometimes I've, I've got to hold something and I've got several tools in my hand. I go, okay, you've got to make a choice here. You've got to let something go and hold on to what's important. So I lay aside something so I can hold something else. That's the point Jesus is making. When faced with a decision, what are we going to hold on to? What are we going to lay down? They would rather hold their traditions and lay the word of God aside. Why? Because they valued their tradition more than they did the word. He said, in fact, full well, you reject the commandments of God so you can keep your tradition. He wasn't condemning the tradition. He was saying, you have to, in order to keep your tradition, reject what God's told you. What really needs to be sacrificed in that situation? Truth or tradition? He said, in fact, through your tradition, listen, You've made the word of God, the very powerful word of God, of none effect. 
That commandment that he talked about there was given so that someone would take care of their parents. You know what they did? They found a loophole, or at least they thought they did. They said, oh no, we can take that that we're supposed to give to our, to our parents and we'll just have this tradition where we'll say, well, I would give that to you, but I've already gifted that to the service of God. So, <laughs> you know, it may sound like I don't like traditions. And that's just not the case at all. I'll tell you, what we've done here tonight is founded in tradition that was passed down to us from one generation to another. And there are good traditions. There are traditions that Paul wrote in Thessalonica, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or by epistle. I am simply saying this. When we are looking at traditions, we need to view them through Scripture, not view Scripture through our traditions. Because if we do the latter of those two, we're going to get everything all mixed up. And I would hate to be guilty of what these men were guilty of. Wouldn't you? I would hate to be blind just simply because I was too prideful to let something go. And I'll tell you why I try to hold my traditions, and I'm still very stubborn when I go woodworking, because I love my father, I love my grandfather, I respect them, and for me to say their way is wrong is an insult to them, or at least that's the way I've looked at it. But you know, when dad would leave and go get supplies, sometimes I did things a different way. And he'd come back and he'd say, well, son, you did a really good job on that. And I'd say, well, let me show you how I did that. And he'd go, well, that's not the way I taught you. Like, it's pretty good, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> Sometimes we have to just understand. Sentiment is not a good guide for what's right and what's wrong. Grab a Bible once again and turn with me to the book of James. <clears throat> We've looked at the eyes and how the, the eyes are important. I want to look at the ears for a moment and some things that James says. And some of this may be new to you. Um, it was new to me in studying this and looking at it. But I want to read James 1, 18. And we may not read all the way down through 25. That's a reference if you want to study that later. Uh, but starting in verse 18, I wanted to pick a context up here because James is talking about the Word. And he's been talking about the fact, he talked earlier in the chapter, that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And that's sort of what's led him into this thought. He says this in verse 18, Of his own will begat he us with the Word of truth. Now, Brother Craig Setliff gave a sermon back in August, if you remember it, on therefores and wherefores. I hope you remember some of that. Because these wherefores here are important. Verse 19. Wherefore. You remember what that word means? It means because of what I just said. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Now, I tell you, I think I've misused this passage before. Because I thought this was about how we communicate with each other. And if I'm talking to Brother Gerald, then I need to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's really not what he's saying, though. 
Look at verse 18. We're going to read all the way down this time through verse 21. And we'll see a contrast that he paints here. He says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore? Wherefore what? Wherefore? Because he begat us with the word of truth. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Now listen to verse 24. Wherefore? Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of notice and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. He has two different people and how they receive the word here. He's got one person that receives the word with meekness in verse 21. And when he receives it with meekness, it goes toward what? End. The saving of the soul. Then we got another person back in verse 19 and 20. A person who doesn't receive the word of truth with meekness. This person, in fact, they're not ready to listen. They're ready to talk. And in fact, when they hear the word, it doesn't bring about them meekness and obedience and humility. It brings about wrath. And he makes a statement here. The wrath of God worketh not. uh, Excuse me. The wrath of man, rather, worketh not the righteousness of God. You ever got mad at God's word? He said, well, that's crazy. Why would I ever do that? I have. I've had somebody look at me and say, Ian, are you aware that you've been doing this? And they'll open up the word with me and I go, hmm. And off I go. (laughs) You know what changed? Nothing. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Look at the next verse, verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his... Here we are back again with eyes and ears, aren't we? You know why? Because God's not going to communicate with you in any other way but through your eyes and your ears. And here's somebody that looks in the mirror. He talks about beholding his natural face in a glass. And he, what's he do? He turns away. I think he's talking about somebody that saw the reflection in God's word. And they didn't like the reflection. And they made no changes. Jesus had probably what we would refer to as a rock star status in some ways. I mean, there were, there were crowds of people that followed him everywhere. And this particular crowd had followed him to the point where they were exhausted and they were hungry. And so Jesus got the disciples together and, and he multiplied food and they fed these thousands. And Jesus said, okay, we're going to go across this body of water and we're going to get away from the multitude. So they left and they go on the other side of this body of water. And when they get there, this multitude caught up with them. And so Jesus began to talk to this multitude, and he said, you know why you're here? I'm speaking West Texas terms here, obviously. Do you know why you're here? Because you ate the food, and your belly got filled. He said, your fathers ate man in the wilderness, and they're dead, but I have bread, bread from heaven. And if you eat it, you'll never die. And they said, okay, from now on, that's the bread we want. You give us that bread. And he said, okay, I 
am the bread of life. And they went. Do what? (laughs) He said, my flesh is meat indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. In fact, if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said, do you take offense at this? You think he asked that question because he didn't know? He knew before he said it they would take offense at it. Well, why say it then? I think to teach us something about discipleship. Because there was a point in these people's life, they were willing to follow Jesus to a certain degree. But once they got to a certain point, they said, Nuh-uh, that's not my Jesus. And they left. Because he said something that was true that was hard to hear. And they got upset. And they left. Proverbs 15, 32 says this, He that refuses instruction despises his own soul. But he who hears reproof gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. How many times have we been those disciples? How many times have we heard God's word and we did nothing about it? I'll tell you, because we may not stand up and go, I don't have to listen to this, but we do it. By not making the changes. And we think somehow that by not coming up or not asking for help, that we're saving ourselves from humiliation and embarrassment. And the truth is this, that's pride. That's just pride. I'll tell you where there's real honor. When we humble ourselves... And we come before our God and we say, I see what you want me to do. I see your will and I'm going to submit to it. God bestows on us honor. He gives us honor. I want to think back for a minute. You know, there were multitudes of people that Paul and Peter and others preached to. And you know the story in Acts chapter 2, there were thousands of people there that day, and Peter preached to them Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. The very profitable, living, powerful word of God pierced these people deeply, and it got a response. And the response was, Men and brethren, what shall we do? I'll tell you, there was some other people in the book of Acts that Luke records in chapter 7. And Stephen preached the same message to these people as Peter did in Acts chapter 2. And the Bible says when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It pierced them deeply. But then it says, and they stopped their ears. 
And they ran upon him with one accord. And they took him outside the city and they stoned him to death. The Word of God works. And in this case, the Word did what the Word was supposed to do. It pierced them. I want to ask you, which one are you? Are you that person that hears instruction and refuses it? Are you the person that gets angry? Are you the person that says, I know what that says, but grandma, grandpa. Are you that person that says, you know what? The truth is more valuable than anything, and I'm going to buy it, and I'm not going to sell it. Friends, tonight you have an opportunity to respond to the truth. And I hope your ears aren't dull of hearing. And I hope your eyes are open. And if they are, and you see the changes you need to make, do not put that off. Jesus Christ will bless you tonight if you come to him in humility. But friends, just like Solomon said, he that refuses instruction despises his own soul. Unless that language escapes us, what he's saying is, a person who refuses to be taught and instructed Hates himself. Hates himself. Friends, tonight, come to Jesus as we stand and sing.